So we're continuing with our series on the words that Christ spoke and left with us as the models and examples of how we shape our future. So this morning's title is called Lost in the Kingdom and we're going to look chiefly at the three parables found in Luke 15 and you see up there the lost lamb, the lost coin and the lost son. All up the writers of the Gospels record the words of Christ. He used the word loss or lost 52, around 52 times and found or gain around 46 times. So it's not an inconsequential um, number in each case. And if it mattered that much to Jesus, we're going to make sure it matters that much to us. And that's why we're going to give it our attention this morning. But it's not all clear cut. In the parables, Jesus speaks of loss as a bad thing. In other places, he speaks of loss as a good thing. Again, sorry, loss as a good thing. In the parables, he speaks of found as a good thing, but elsewhere, the idea of gain as a bad thing. So it's not clear, and we're going to see if we can make this any more clear this morning. Next slide, thanks, Jen. Perhaps the most famous records of Christ's use of the word loss are found in each of the Gospels. They are the references up there. Um, but the one that I'm going to use as the um, summing up of all of them is the Luke 9 verse, which goes like this. You'll know it well. Um, if you try to hang on to your life, this is the New Living Translation version of it. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? Uh, but for the rest of the session, I'm going to use the NIV phrase for the end of that because I love it so much. It, uh, so the NIV goes, what would you benefit if you gain the whole world but you yourself, you lose or forfeit your very self? And I love that phrase, your very self. We're going to fly with that this morning. In the conundrums of the kingdom, what looks like gain might be loss and what looks like loss might be gain. The words that Christ used, um, which is for us translated lost or lose, is also translated as destroy in several times in the New Testament, which shows you how alarming and how devastating this whole idea and why it would have mattered so much to Jesus. In the King James, it also uses the word mar, M-A-R, which is such an odd and old-fashioned word, but it means to injure. We could substitute it with the word injure. And there was one um, translation I read, it said, we experience detriment, which I think is quite elegant, really. What will it profit you if you gain the whole world, but you experience detriment to your soul. It's kind of nice. So in a nutshell, what Jesus is saying is, what good does it do to us to win the whole world, but injure or even destroy our very self? Now just before I leave this introduction, I'd like to throw this in. It's not going to be a teaching point, but it's a thought. The more I've looked into this idea of our very self, the more the idea of integrity or integrated self has come into my awareness. I would say to you, whether in the church or in the marketplace, um, we can gain all kinds of titles and positions, but if we've lost our integrity along the way, we are indeed an injured self. 
So that isn't the message, but I think the idea hovers around the ridges of the message. So next slide, thanks, Jen. Right here then, to counterbalance this phrase, our very self, let's use the phrase our not enough self. This speaks of an internal sense of scarcity in any area of life. Just going to stop there and tell a really quick story to let you know that I'm inside this message. Um, uh, we grew up in 45 Alden Road, Windsor. So I lived there for the most of nine years of my life from five to 14. Um, and it was a little three-bedroom weatherboard home with one bathroom and it was very simple and it was in the days before visiting speakers got looked after nicely. So, you know, my brother and I were always outside of our bed because the visiting missionaries and everybody were in our beds. Um, so that's how we grew up and didn't I didn't have a strong sense that we were poor but it was in the days when you weren't, pastors weren't paid diddly squat. You know, you, I think the salary had to be the least amount of money that anyone in the church <laughs> earned, <laughs> something like that. And, uh, but we were. There, my mother had to actually get a job to afford my Kedron High School uniform. So somewhere, I, I, I came to grips with this, that somewhere lodged into me was a sense of scarcity. Um, so then we went to New Zealand. I'm now 25, 24, 25, 26, um, and I'm the speech therapist in a country town, and I'm driving a Morris Marina, I'm saying this slowly to be impressed, a Morris Marina hatchback orange. So cool. Look, it wasn't even cool then, but let's say. <laughs> and, um, you know, I had the obligatory coat with the fur collar. <coughs> but I came back to Australia. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> I'm trying to paint a picture of something, you know. Came back to Australia and um, at the end of 1978, 77, went on a, 78, doesn't matter, went on a tour to, um, with a group of women to America, came back through Hawaii and the woman who led that group uh, was a remarkable woman, Yvonne Muller's auntie actually, and I had had the privilege of growing up calling her auntie as well. And um, we, she said, come with me, darling. That everyone was darling in those days. Still are. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> keeps women forever dumb. Um, so who needs to remember names? I'm so off track. Don't <laughs> use this one. <laughs> you better use the first message for the recording. Um, so we're walking along and we came to a shop and, she's, and as we are turning to go into the shop, she said to me, this shop is so posh, they don't have price tags on their products. And I can remember literally freezing. I can remember, like, you know how you go to take a step, it's a rhythmic move, and I didn't. I more took it like a chook step, you know, like, like that. And uh, because that shop was, th I'm, I wasn't good enough for that shop. That wasn't a shop for somebody who grew up at 45 Alden Road, Windsor. And whether or not she knew what she was doing, I don't know. But she grabbed my hand and she pulled me across the step. Now, she'd known me all my life, so she may have known what she was doing, she may not, but Holy Spirit knew. I'd like to say that that issue of scarcity was dealt with right there and then. But I think as I looked back, all I got was a red flag. Watch it, Joy. Just watch it because there's a risk you're going to spend your whole life trying to compensate for scarcity. At the end, I'm going to encourage you to re-listen to um, Josh's message on abundance. It was pure genius, and I sent it to my brother because we grew up in the same home. <sighs> Our very self. 
our very self. When we follow Christ, we are to find that very self. And to do that, there will be a loss, and it has to be a loss of our not enough self. Our find or what we gain is who we were meant to be because the one who is more than enough has redeemed what we lost. Uh, The way I read the words of the Lord is this, that our not enough self, our not enough self must live a life that's yielded. We've got to give way to the more than enough God, El Shaddai, the God of plenty. So what is our very self? Um, The other translations use life or soul interchangeably. And all of these are translated from the word sukin or suke. Now that word is neither our physical breath or if you like our mortal soul, the flesh and the blood, nor is it our eternity, which for us would be our salvation. It's kind of what's in the middle of that. It's our earthbound self. It's the earthbound part of us. And it's affected by the circumstances of our birth, as with me, the way we're nurtured, uh, that I've just modelled to you, and then with the choices that we make. So we tend to box up this soul with the words mind, will and emotions, and for now that's entirely fine. God does not want us to suffer loss or injury in any of those areas. So with all of that as a backdrop, let's move now to Luke 15, to see how Jesus taught this amazing and redemptive truth. So we'll read the three parables now. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And then the next parable that we call the uh, parable, parable of the prodigal son. I have praised just to fit it onto the one slide. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, he came to his senses. He got up, went to his father who said, the son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Also in those parables, issues of repentance crop up and so does celebration. So how does any of this relate to our suke? How does any of this take us from a sense of not being enough to finding our very self? So first I want to just settle this, that these questions have little to do, I don't see them having anything much to do with whether or not we are Christians, being a Christian or not being a Christian. And the reason I say that is because the lost sheep is still a sheep. When it walked out of the sheepfold, it didn't become another animal. Just because it left the sheepfold, it's still a sheep. And the shepherd that goes after it is still the shepherd. And the lost son is still that man's son. He hasn't become somebody else's son just because of his choices. And the father is still that son's father. So portrayed by the shepherd or by the father, we can see that the king of love is still on his game. No matter how injuring 
or how destructive our choices are, past or present. So why does the King of Love come after us? We're still alive, aren't we? We've got a secure eternity, don't we? Um, are we so desperately needed in the sheepfold anyway? Are we so desperately needed in the family business anyway? And who cares really what we are doing to our not enough self? Who cares what we're doing to our suke? Uh, and who cares how much we are injuring our very self? And the answer is evident. The king of love cares. He comes after us because he is a God of redemption. That's the buying back of everything in us that is lost. When we give our hearts to Jesus, he brings all of himself in. He doesn't pick and choose. He's Jesus and we ask him in and he comes in. All of himself comes in. And what he's asking in return is that we give all of ourselves back to him. So when he sees us injuring or even destroying our very self, he comes after us because he wants us to be more defined by what he has redeemed, by himself, by his fullness. He wants us to be more defined by what we've found in him than what we have done to our not enough self, maybe to cope with feelings of scarcity. Maybe that has resonated with you this morning, but at least it's the things that we have lost. So impassioned was Jesus about this, that he gave three amazing pictures to the people around him, and we are so blessed to have those pictures here today. In the parable of the lost sheep, 99 sheep, 99 sheep have voted yes on the sheepfold and only one has voted no and there's not a pastor on earth who wouldn't like those odds. That's really good. 99 people have said, we like it here and the other one has disappeared. And here's the thing. The no vote has not affected the quality of the gathering. They're just going to carry on being sheep in the sheepfold anyway. We don't achieve anything much when we decide that we won't belong. So what has that one sheep done? That one sheep has lost fellowship. That one sheep no longer has a sense of belonging. It is now in isolation. So here's the thing. As strange as the idea is of a random group of people coming together and daring to think they could get on enough to become family, it would seem that the king of love wants us here because our very self needs it. In the parable of the lost son, the rest of the family have voted yes on the family business and that kid's no vote has not affected business on the farm. If you read the parable, everywhere was in famine, but there was plenty of food back in the family business. His no vote has not affected business back on the farm. He's just made a lot of dreadful choices, and in doing so, now we could put a lot of words to this. I'm just summing them up with this. He's lost his dignity, don't we? And it looks like the king of love wants to restore what he lost, what we have lost, what we injure, because our very self needs it. Which leaves us with the parable of the lost coin. Those listening to this parable would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. The ten coins spoke of a woman's dowry. Now, a good dowry would have included property and livestock. 
And if all a woman had was ten coins to present herself as a possible as a possibility, can you imagine how absolutely precious to her those ten coins were? Those ten coins said, I am available and I'm a good choice. I'm worth having. I've got my ten coins. If one coin was missing, there is good cogent argument for that being a representation of a loss of sexual integrity. At the very least, it was a loss of wholeness. I cannot come to you as a ten-coin person. I can only come to you as a nine-coin person. And can you imagine how desolate that would have made her feel, how vulnerable, all the hope of her having um, somebody to care for her, all the hope of her having provision, let alone children that would grow up and care for her in her old age should she have reached an old age in that era were contingent on her having ten coins and she has lost one of those coins and the listeners would have well understood the desperate need for that search. This parable speaks of loss of readiness or worthiness for relationship and as I've said, even for the loss of sexual integrity. And it looks like the king of love wants to make us whole and complete again because our very self needs it. So let's go back to the words of Christ about gain and loss. What good will it do you if you gain the whole world but you lose fellowship, you lose a sense of belonging, you lose your dignity, you lose any sense of being whole and complete because such losses injure or even destroy our very self. So what's to be done about this? It's the second parable that provides us with the answers. We turn on a light. We sweep the house clean. We don't stop looking until what is lost, what has been lost is found. And what I want to say there is that often the circumstances that lead us to feel like living in isolation is better, the circumstances to um, lead us to feel that we won't even try for a relationship and the circumstances that l cause us to lose our dignity have also exhausted us. And then somebody stands up and says, now all you've got to do is try hard and then a little bit harder and you'll find it. And you go, thank you very much. I'll just go and have coffee. But the truth of the matter is that in our desolation, if we put ourselves in the place of a search, I promise you, that God comes alongside of us. He meets with us. He gives us energy. He gives us strength in the most extraordinary ways. Um, we'll see a, you know, a sign or a book will be given. Something will be given because God understands our frame. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailty. He knows our exhaustion. And yet I have to say, don't stop looking until what was lost is now found and in accordance with those parables, repent where necessary and then rejoice with others in the community. And there was a question that came to me as I was putting this message together, which would be, how impacting would it be to the world if all the sheep were in the sheepfold and all the coins were on the chain and all the members were working the family enterprise? It's a fantastical thought. But for now, I think we are going to just slow down a little and for the sake of our very self, allow the Holy Spirit to commune with us. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read four things. And if they resonate with you, 
going to invite you to stand and we're going to just create this whole room now as an altar. Thanks, Chris. Just the whole room becomes an altar. And you stand and once you have stood to everyone else, I'm saying, will you just minister? You don't have to say words. You don't have to say words. Just standing with somebody with their arms around you is enough. So if anything is stirred in you about any ideas of loss of fellowship or loss of belonging, any sense of being incomplete or unready for relationship, anything about choices that have eroded your dignity, or perhaps I could sum it up by this, any sense of not being enough. And before I do stop talking and open the altar, I just want to say if anything has stirred in your heart or mind, please revisit two messages that I think are seminal in this series. Um, Josh's message from the 13th of December called Rooted in Abundance and Charles' message from the 23rd of May, Fear Not, Little Flock. They are really entwined in this whole deal of being lost and found. So let's get back to the altar. No one's going to ask any questions. Nobody's going to ask you to state why you're on your feet. But if you know that either some healing will come or at least you'll get your red flag, there'll be some break in, the, some break in that sense of not enough because the more than enough God is longing. He's so longing, he's running. Please stand to your feet then. Anything to do with a loss of fellowship, feeling like you don't belong, anything to do with feeling unfit for relationship, anything to do with having your dignity negatively impacted, any sense of not enough. In Jesus' name, we create this sacred space. <laughs>